Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Stemming Forward. This is Chris coming to you once again, and we are Black Girl Magic. So I've already told y'all about Stemming Forward, its mission, and the motivation behind why I started this initiative. We discussed the statistics surrounding Black presence in STEM, and if you can recall, those numbers weren't too good. Because all of us here at Stemming Forward identify as Black women, we wanted to talk today about the Black woman, how magical, how brilliant, how strong, how amazing she is, and the many shoes she fills in STEM, in leadership, and in life. We each share the honor and privilege to do what we do and to accomplish our goals, but I can't lie to you, this really does take a toll on us. If you want it, you really have to go after it. You have to commit to the process with confidence that you'll come out on the other side. Like, y'all, this journey is not easy at all. I mean, to be honest, Black women are superheroes. Like, I don't care what anybody says. We have to carry our responsibilities in addition to the responsibilities of others. We put that all on our back and we make it look easy. We don't complain about it. All of these experiences, though, have shaped us into who we are today. And our guests have done some extensive research on this topic. And we're super grateful to have her here with us. Yes, shout out to you, Dee, because you sharing Stemming Forward on your LinkedIn page got her attention. She earned her bachelor's in mass media arts and public relations from Clark Atlanta University, her Master of Arts in Student Affairs Administration from Michigan State University, and her PhD in Educational Leadership and Policy Analysis from UW-Madison. Her research was focused on the experiences of undergraduate Black women in leadership positions at historically Black colleges and universities. That's HBCUs, y'all. She now <laughs> serves as an Inclusive Excellence Teaching Fellow at UW-Whitewater. Y'all, her career goal is to become a director of a graduate school. Shout out to you, sis. Welcome, Dr. Jamila Lee Johnson. We appreciate you coming to kick it with us today. Thank you. I'm excited to come and kick it with you ladies today. And let's just talk. Talk about Black girl magic. Talk about Black women in general. Yes. I'm really excited. Like, I'm cheesed out right now. Okay. <laughs> so, you saw Darian's LinkedIn post about stemming forward. So, what compelled you to reach out to her and want to get involved? Let me start back talking a little bit about my journey and how I got to, or even thinking about, like, my work in, with STEM in general. Growing up, my mom would always send me the summer enrichment programs during the summer. Like, starting at the end of fifth grade, she shipped me off to Purdue University for a minority engineering program right and so from there I began to be exposed to engineering and then every summer I went to like probably some kind of engineering camp it was really for to get the math and science enrichment but I knew it wasn't something that I was really interested in doing however I always had my same connections with STEM like um, when I worked at the University of Michigan I worked specifically in engineering in terms of thinking about STEM and I worked um, as a mentor to young black girls with STEM and um, just thinking about like the work, my friends that I know that are in STEM and the experiences that I have and thinking about how we can get more people of color into these fields. And so I was excited when I saw like STEMing for it. I'm like, wow, these black girls, they about to do it. Like <laughs> I'm excited about what the podcast can do, looking more into other initiatives that you all are looking to do in the future. And I was like, I need to be a part of this. Like, how can I be connected? All right. So since you touched on a little bit about what Stemming Forward is, 
doing and how you wanted to be involved, I want you specifically to tell our audience what motivated you to pursue an advanced degree and how you selected your field of study. Um, so for me, one of the reasons why I went on to pursue another degree is that I knew that I wanted to go up the ranks in higher education. When you work on a college campus, in order for you to be at the top, they want you to have some sort of doctor mm-hmm. degree or some type of advanced degree past the master's. And I would say probably for women, it's more likely for them to move up with a doctor degree more so than a man, than, you know, than we think of it. I had gotten to a point in my job where I was able to do everything in it and I wanted to grow. And so the other option was for me to either, um, either if I didn't go back to school was to start a nonprofit. And so I still do want to do this nonprofit. It's like, I want to create a college access center, but I want the center to encompass not only helping students figure out like the types of colleges that they want to go to, but even thinking about like, what are some other types of trades that they want to do? When I got ready to apply for graduate school, I applied for six schools. You know, I did everything that people were telling you to do when you get ready to apply for doctoral programs. Make sure you go to college, especially when, you in, when you're in the higher education realm. They definitely want you to like go to conferences, do this and do that and make sure your resume and your CV are strong. And when I did it, I applied for six schools. And I remember like one day after I hit submit on my one of my applications, like the next day I got a rejection. I was like, oh my goodness, like, is this really meant for me to go to graduate school? And then I got a letter from Wisconsin uh-huh. and I was like, hmm. well, my mom had already said, why'd you end up going to Wisconsin? <laughs> because what's funny is this. Growing up, I went to UW-Madison for summer programs. Never did I think I would turn right back around and do full circle um, and come and end up back at UW-Madison. I don't know if this is a fun fact or just like how family like things happen. So my aunt actually graduated from UW-Madison. She was the first Black woman to graduate from electrical engineering with a bachelor's from UW-Madison. And then my mom went to UW-Madison for a year, but then she left. So I ended up being back at Madison. I mean, while I was in Madison, I was afforded opportunities to do things that may not always happen during a graduate school program. So I was able to like publish a book, also, you know, join different organizations, meet great people like Darian and Dr. K. So that's how I got to be in an advanced program. I knew that I wanted to stay in higher education. My higher education program was the next step for me to go on into higher ed. I always loved being on the college campus from growing up until even when I was a student at Clark Atlanta University. I always say part of the reason that I went into higher education was because my mom is a graduate of HBCU and she will always take me to her HBCU's version of a homecoming growing up. So that was my first experience of like being on a college campus and seeing like what exactly happens. And then I always had to give a shout out to a different world because I always wanted to be the dean. She would put everyone on her list. And so that's why I went on to get a degree in um, education, specifically with the concentration in higher ed. Listen, just hearing you talk right now about your journey, just a little piece of it. I am so inspired and empowered just to be able to talk to you right now. So Listen, Thank you. your goals, just us as a group, we we are successful women and we all have highly ambitious 
but attainable goals. And I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but I know for sure that I have. There's a lot of research out there about imposter syndrome. And for those that are listening that don't know what that is, it's basically that feeling you get like you'll be found out or like you shouldn't be in the position you're currently in. And although you've put in the work, the time, the focus and the energy to get where you are, you still question your position or if you're knowledgeable enough to be in your current position. And you make a lot of statements like I'm really not that smart or um, it's really not that major or I don't know if I'm even supposed to be here. So Jamila, I'm gonna start with you. Have you struggled with this in your journey? Girl, <laughs> yes, and still do. <laughs> um, um, I feel like graduate school does that to us, um, specifically around like Black women. With imposter syndrome, we know that we're good enough to do this, or I would even say like great enough to be a part of these programs, but then we may read something or let's say we turn in something for feedback or we get a rejection from an article. And then we begin to question like who we are or why we even choose to be a part of this journey. I still kind of suffer from it. And like, even now, like being one year out of a doctoral program, I'm like, I look at jobs or, you know, I can go on job interviews and I'm thinking they grow well and then get a rejection You start questioning yourself is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Or saying like, Lord, please just give me a sign or something of, am I going in the right direction? You know, um, yeah, Dr. Lee Johnson, I mean, hit the nail right on the head. It started in graduate school and I don't know what that was about, but I know for me, uh, my HBCU gave me uh, confidence that Mm -hmm. I was getting a Harvard (laughs) education. There was no fear of me representing my race. Uh, there was just a different air about the way that I would carry myself and graduate school started and I was completely prepared for graduate school. There was no doubt in my mind that I could get a PhD, but a month or two in and everything started. I think being the only one in my class, being the only black female, sometimes being the only female in engineering, I think that's what started with the imposter syndrome. Also, people would say things that maybe were unintentional, but it set in to the fact of, well, if I didn't know X, Y, and Z, well, maybe I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. And that's where it started. I mean, you know firsthand. So like Dr. Lee Johnson and Dr. K and even Crystal, um, we all went to HBCUs for undergraduate education, and that definitely built a strong foundation for me. Like Carla just said, my professors made me think that I could go, like they t- actually told us, you can go to any conference, any university, and you can compete with anyone. I don't care if they got an Ivy League degree, you can compete because you know the concepts. I didn't even know what imposter syndrome was until I came to graduate school, but the semester prior to coming to graduate school, I attended UW for that s- semester. And that's when I got stares from people because I was a transplant. I was someone who was foreign to them and didn't look like any of them in the classroom Mm. other than the other individual who came from South Carolina State with me. So that's when I first got all those stares and everything, but I didn't know what imposter syndrome meant until I got to graduate school. You can definitely feel deflated and inadequate. And I mean, graduate school altogether can be a deflating process, but I think it's 
opportunities like this that allow us to uplift each other and address some of those things and talk about some of those things that we experience. Yeah. I would say even like when I left Clark Atlanta, I felt like I could be the president of Clark Atlanta within two years. And then I remember writing in my um, reflection that I first wrote for my master's program. And I wrote, you know, my eventual goal is to be a college president. And my department chair at the time wrote back, well, I don't know if this is the career that you need to start in. And then I started like doing more research and I'm like, people start off in different areas to be a college president. So why wouldn't this be the correct way for me to get there? And I think that's where it starts, specifically in graduate school. Like, especially when you come from an HBCUs where we're taught that we can do everything. Absolutely. Not just with, you know, we're taught that we're strong enough or smart enough, we're more than capable enough to pursue any field of study or um, degree or whatever we want to do. But I know at my HBCU, we worked together to get ourselves through a class. Mm -hmm. We served as motivation to one another. We supported one another. But then when I got to, you know, grad school, I felt like I was by myself. I felt like I was always overcompensating for me being a black woman or being the only one. And I felt like I had to always prove myself or show that, hey, I belong here. I fought to be here. I just felt constantly on guard. Like I always had to defend my position. And I know since we discussed, we all still struggle with imposter syndrome. The follow-up question now is what do you do to overcome the feelings that you have of inadequacy? I'm going to start with you. Jamila. One of the things that has been helpful for me is to talk it out. And I would say talk it out with a lot of my friends that are in, and that are in graduate school currently. Um, just for us to kind of talk to each other and encourage each other and say like, you know, no, you are capable of being here. You know, um, we always kind of use the words like I fought to be here, but I think we need to start saying like, I deserve mm-hmm. to be here. Like, we deserve to have a place at these tables because we're just as smart or even smarter than some of the people that are currently at the table. One of the things that I've also began to do, start doing like daily affirmations. And um, that has really helped. I would say I probably have started that maybe over the last three months of thinking about um, some daily affirmations or, or even just connecting on these types of platforms and talking to others to see what are some of the other coping techniques that we all do. And uh, one of the other things that I would say is, you know, join um, therapy group. I think that that was very helpful for me in graduate school and thinking about um, other graduate students and some of the things that they go through because it was a way for us to connect with each other. Listen, we need to remind ourselves that it's not us. We we shouldn't feel guilty or on guard. It's not us. It's it's everyone around us that is producing the atmosphere that we are now picking up in our spirit mm-hmm. and feeling up. Uh, the body naturally expels that which is foreign. That is true when you go and you get a transplant and you need a new organ. It's also true when you come into a situation or, or a place where no one has ever seen someone like you before. You just naturally don't fit in and they see that and they cannot accept it. But it is a human condition and sometimes we need to realize that mm-hmm. as well. So for me, yes, I still struggle with this. And what I do, I've noticed is over preparation, overworking. You put in so much effort to be perfect at something where other people are just showing up, but you feel like you have to do the extra. You have to go the extra mile. You've got to be twice as good. And that is a way of coping. Recently, I've discovered that 
what I really need to do is remind myself that I've successfully done a task at hand and I've been able to do it before. Therefore, I can do it again and I can do it again with confidence. Mm -hmm. For me, I would say that those feelings, what I have to do is be okay with taking time for myself. I think a lot of times, like I said earlier, we're super women and I have oftentimes felt guilty about taking time off or taking time for myself. And so now, especially with everything that's going on, I've done a lot more working out. I've done a lot more yoga and mindfulness. Like Jamila said earlier, for me, support is super important. So talking to my friends who are in graduate school programs, in addition to my family and like my close network of people who I trust, I think a lot of times some individuals just talk to anybody and I think it's important to talk to those who you really trust and who can understand what it is you're going through and last but certainly not least something that's helped me is going deep for my faith going to bible study attending church more regularly being there and making sure I'm doing what God has for me to do so that's what I would say so for me in addition to some of the components that everybody else has mentioned, so talking to family, venting to friends that that are um, experienced in you know STEM fields and graduate school in general and professionalism and just trying to get advice about how to navigate and um, I even and you know I started therapy. A lot of people you know have this stigma about therapy and you know in the black community is frowned upon but it actually is very helpful like um we we're expected or we tell ourselves I don't need therapy I'm good I can handle it you know black people don't need therapy but that is so harmful to ourselves and to our growth if we constantly assume that we got it all together because we don't um so therapy talking to friends and family prayer um sleep most times we we just so tired (laughs) that we just need a nap or you know some like Darian said me time um just to reflect and just be um and I think all of those components and all those different activities affirmations and meditation and stuff like that that's also been helpful for me and overcoming feeling like I, I don't belong or that I'm, I'm not enough, basically. So it's nice to hear everybody's techniques and what we do to overcome imposter syndrome. So Jamila, I want to talk a little bit about your doctoral research. It focused on the Black woman's experience in leadership at HBCU specifically. So what influenced you to undertake this research and what were your major findings? Um, so for me, one of the reasons that I switched my research agenda or even went into that research agenda is that, um, so I've always been interested in the experiences of like, you know, why, why is it that, you know, some of us go to HBCUs and then some of us go to PWIs? Well, we know what the literature says when we talk about like funding and we think about that. Um, however, when I was in undergrad, I was a student leader and, I was really interested in thinking about the experiences that I've had. So my overall goal is to eventually make this a longitudinal study and think about how experiences of student leadership can play a role into the types of careers that um, women have gone into. Specifically, when we think about like Black women, right? So thinking about like women like Stacey Abrams, Senator Kamala Harris, Keisha Lance Bottoms, CEO of Starbucks, Rosalind Brewer, All of these women went to HBCUs and were involved in student government. Oh, and let's not even forget uh, Brittany Cooper, who is a professor. She used to have the Black Feminist Crunk Collection. So I really wanted to think about how those experiences have played a role into Black women's careers. 
So that's how it started. And so I ended up looking at elected student leaders because there's so many different types of organizations on historically Black college campuses. And so I knew that I wanted to look at students from both public and private institutions. And I was like, ooh, one of the best ways to probably do this is to look at student government. So thinking about SGA presidents, SGA vice presidents, and even campus queens. There are a few major findings. One of them is that I mean, we've talked about this from the beginning. It's just that Black women, Black girls, we are just awesome. And thinking about the experiences that they go through, like no matter what happens, um, they're still going to persist. Another one is there's a lot of respectability politics that happen in student leadership that people don't think a lot about and how that can play a major role into Black women. One of the other last findings that I have was like Black women, the work will still get done. Thinking about like, even though issues have a role um, they're still going to get it done. Oh, and oh, Black women have always been leaders. Many of these girls, many of these women talked about how that they were leaders pre-college and how that played a role into them going on and taking on bigger affairs of being SGA presidents and being their campus queen. So it started as early as many of these girls in is like pre-K. One of my participants talks about how she remembers that she started off in kindergarten and then... They told her that, oh, you're way advanced. And then they pushed her to first grade. So here she is thinking that she's going to be intimidated by first graders. And the first graders were coming to her for advice. Oh, wow. So those were the major findings from the study. And the experiences that I have from interviewing these women or just spending time with them, I had the opportunity to, to attend NASAP, which is the National Student Affairs Association Conference. And that's where they go and train like 400 leaders. So I spent a week with these newly elected student leaders. It was amazing. So this all boils down to one thing. We see a lack of Black presence in STEM. And this is mostly due to the fact that young Black scholars don't feel supported enough to pursue it. The fact that Black students believe the lie is that if they decide to go into STEM, the courses are way too rigorous for them. And this leads them to switch majors. This lie that you're not good in science and math It starts early in elementary and continues throughout life. I don't know who told you, the listener, that you were not good at math, science, reading, whatever it is, but you cannot believe it. This is just one of many ways black and brown students are discouraged from pursuing STEM fields. So Jamila, what does the data show about minority support in undergraduate and graduate study? A lot of the data talks a lot about how most students, students of color specifically, If we have people that look like us, then they feel more inspired to go on. They feel more encouraged. But one of the things, and this is a project that I would like to do and think about is like thinking about some of the reasons why Black women leave out of STEM or even in that sense or having that experience, especially when we think about like Black women that are in physics and the experiences that they have and why they, you know, don't even continue to go on and think about the professoriate. But the data essentially tells us that, you know, the more that we have people that look like us, the more we are more likely to persist. Right. And that's the same at the undergraduate level as well as even at the graduate level. And then some of my research has even talked about how identity plays a major role and how... Um, When students are a part of programs that encourage them to be themselves or they come into the program holistically, they're more likely to go on to pursue their degree. So we think about programs like the Ronald E. McNair program, especially programs that are designed to help students go to graduate school or even thinking about TRIO programs. These programs really push 
for students to go on and to get a degree. What happens is there's a disconnect when they get to college and they don't see, you know, a lot of their friends or even see Black faculty that look like them. Absolutely. So I guess if you could change anything about your educational journey, your path, your choices, would you? Um, Or would you choose a different route? Why or why not? This is a hard question for me. (laughs) Uh, I would say yes and no. Um, I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason or that you're in the right place at the right time, even though we may not know why we're there. But one of the things that I struggle with in graduate school, like especially at the doctoral level, is thinking about, am I doing the right thing? When we think about like things that have happened, uh, like the unarmed killings of Black men, um, the unarmed killings of Black women, when we think about Breonna Taylor, like really, should I really be out there on the front lines instead of like writing this 20 page paper? You know, people will say, oh, no, you're doing the right thing. And so I found myself saying that to someone the other day, like, you know, I know this may be hard, but think about that. What are other ways that you can participate and be a part of the movement? So I would say if there was anything that I would probably do, I would probably maybe think about getting an MBA instead of a PhD. Um, and that's because MBAs, they have programs where you can do like organizational change or things like that, because then I would and I can still do this, you know, go on and like work for the UNCF or think about working for corporate companies and their, um, a lot of companies have foundations and thinking about the work that I could do and changing their foundation and helping to contribute to the communities that I grew up with or communities that I'm most interested in working with. So do you feel like, you know, any part of your research or your own educational journey or experiences have enlightened you or further like motivated you to form a mindset to help support black and brown students or what would you say was your main enlightening piece to want to be involved in supporting black and brown students i would say my experiences of being a mentor with mcnair as well as working and volunteering with youth um one of the things that i did was work with my sorority with our high school program when I first moved to Madison. And that really exposed me to really thinking about educational disparities. So one of the things is that when you're in higher education, your focus is typically on higher education. And my program, my master's program wasn't designed for us to like really think critically. And so in a doctoral program, it really caused me to challenge to think about, to think about issues that happen at the K-12 level and how often schools can be places that are not great for black and brown students, especially black girls. So I would have to say my doctoral program was the one that really opened my eyes. Do you have any parting advice for those considering industrial or academic careers in research or pursuing any advanced degrees? Do it all and get as much experience as you can. Um, One of the things that I found myself in graduate school doing is that I always, I teeter-totter, right? Do I want to stay in the academy Or do I want to go back into administration? Um, And one of the reasons, and part of the reason is, it's it's a few reasons, right? It's money. Um, But it's also thinking about the experiences that we have um, and how sometimes people say like, oh, faculty, you're so respected. It's the best job ever. And I'm still struggling with that. I'm still trying to see where the best job is, why this is 
such a struggle because I deal with students and I have to deal with them lying. I know I shouldn't say that lying or um, not turning in their work or even just questioning who you are. And I'm like, hold on, boo. I'm the one with the PhD. For real. Um, so I would say administration or, you know, I'm just thinking about like, what are ways that I'm going to be able to push myself forward or even challenge myself? Because I was trained as an administrator. It wasn't until I got to graduate school and I was like, oh, well, maybe you can do this research thing. So really thinking of myself of seeing like as a scholar practitioner uh, and what does that look like? And what, what do I want to produce? Do I want to just write because I have to in order to get tenure or do I really want to write meaningful pieces or do meaningful work that's going to be a part of systemic change? Wow. Whew, you touched on a lot, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, we are out of time. But trust me when I say we're not done with this topic. Dr. Lee Johnson, thank you again for taking time out to speak with us. Um, if you have any questions about stemming forward about this episode or you want to be involved in any way, you can find us on the following platforms on Facebook at fb.me slash stemming forward on LinkedIn at Stemming Forward, or you can follow us on Instagram at Stemming underscore forward, or you can email us at stemmingforward at gmail.com. Since Dr. Lee Johnson is our guest today, she has selected a quote to end this episode. So Dr. Lee Johnson. It's okay to change your mind. It's okay to have questions. It's okay to want better. It's okay to need help. It's okay to say no. It's okay to cry it's okay. It's a reminder for us that it's okay to feel however we're feeling right now and that we're human and that it's going to be okay. Thank y'all for listening. And remember, we are stemming forward together.